1: if you're listening to these words, that means you're listening to this podcast as a ritual, which means you're not listening to a different podcast or an album of music or just total silence, or doing something different. You are listening to this podcast is a ritual, which means that you are in this moment of magic, of mystery, and shared conversation, and that has taken you away from those infinite other possibilities of what you could have been doing, and now you are listening to these sounds of my voice here in this moment as we connect through time and space. Now, if you're a frequent listener of this podcast as a ritual, these ideas might not be new for you because we're all about creating a slightly better reality through the power of magic, which means recognizing that magic doesn't have to be summoning a million dollars or having some sort of crazy out-of-body experience or manifesting wealth and success and just an easy life with no challenges. Wouldn't that be great? Ha ha ha. Magic is about recognizing that we are all navigating a multiverse of possibilities every day and that the things we choose to do or say or listen to take us down roads that we might not have otherwise explored. Now, this podcast is a ritual because it is actively participating in that magic. And today's episode would not be possible, would not exist if it wasn't for that ongoing magic and the way that listeners like you engage with it. Because today's podcast is a conversation with a wizard in Australia named Aaron Taylor. And Aaron found out about this particular form of wizardry because he listened to me speak on another podcast, the delightful What Magic Is This?, about these weird ideas that I call wizardry. And Aaron realized that that resonated with him, and he had a long beard, and he could take on that role, although a long beard is not required to be a wizard. Let me make that clear. In his pursuit of wizardry, he wrote a delightful little book, which we'll talk about today, called The Wizard and the Bird Song. And he reached out through the magical portal that is the internet and contacted me and said, I'd like to share a copy of this book that I wrote because I heard you speaking about wizardry, and that resonated with me. So here's a book for you. And then I read it, and I said, this is great. Let's have you on the podcast, the chat. And now we see how it all comes full circle. Because that's what magic is all about. Appreciating the way that little tiny changes reverberate, maybe in our own lives, maybe in the lives of complete strangers. But as we continuously put out that little bit of thought energy, and intention, it creates a slightly better reality, which I am happy to be sitting in in this moment as I get ready to speak with the wizard, Aaron Taylor, two wizards talking wizardry in a conversation that, who knows, maybe it'll inspire you to be a wizard too.
0: Well, hello, Aaron. Good morning from Australia. (laughs) Good afternoon to where you are. We
1: have had an interesting string of uh, Aussie wizards on in the last six months. We had a couple for our Talk to the wizard series. and I know it's not Australia, but your, your neighbor over in New Zealand was just on last week. And I mean, I guess you're the land of Oz. It makes sense. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful to have you on, uh, even though you're a day ahead.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to be here.
1: So uh, let's kick it off. What's our magic word going to be? magic word today is budgery. Whoa, say that for me one more time, please. Budgery. And what does budgery
0: mean? So uh, my main source of income and work is I teach uh, our local Aboriginal culture mm-hmm. here in Australia. And uh, budgery is one of our local words that just means like the best or really good. Um, a lot of Aboriginal people say deadly when they're trying to say that something's like really cool. Mm. Um, and so budgery is like a language word that actually encompasses that. So use it, use it in a sentence. So like, okay. If someone said, like, oh, how are you feeling today? You said budgery. Budgery. All really right. Really good. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Great. So on the count of
1: three, <laughs> say it with me. One, two, three. Budgery. 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 Love it. All right. So how are you feeling today? Budgery great me too so i'm (laughs) really excited to have you on because uh you know being a wizard of of some prominence uh, i get interesting messages from time to time and you are one of the fine folks that sort of snuck into my inbox uh but with more than just a how do you do because you'd actually created a piece of sort of magical art and then kept me updated as it evolved and now it exists as a beautiful book which i'm proud to own So why don't you tell us a little bit more about this book and
0: how it came to be? Absolutely. So basically, when I was a kid, I used to do a lot of creative writing. I was a real bookworm. Um, I was always writing stories and poems, and it's what I love to do. Um, But then when I got to high school, I sort of forgot about that aspect of myself, and I just wanted to focus on partying and being Mm -hmm. cool and yada, yada. And then it wasn't until I became a parent at sort of a fairly young age and I started to shift away from partying and sort of explore more into feeding my soul that Mm -hmm. the creative writing came back. And then I guess it was almost synchronistic when I started getting back into that. And then I heard your episode with uh, What Magic Is This? Mm -hmm. It was Wizards with a Wizard. Yeah, yeah. I was and, done with The
1: That was a good one.
0: Yeah, it was a ripper. And yeah. um, I reckon I, I listened to that about five times because <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> the way that you were describing the archetypal wizard and the attributes that go along with that, I was just like, huh, maybe I'm a wizard. You know, oh. it's like that one of those light bulb things went off. And uh, yeah, as I was saying, the creative writing kicked off again and um, and I was listening to audio books of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. And I just felt so gravitated towards, you know, Dumbledore and Gandalf. And it just inspired me to start writing poems about wizards. And I believe a while ago, I actually sent you a few of the shorter ones that I had. Mm -hmm. So I was just, yeah, I was just getting into it. But then this particular poem, it just kept going and kept going and kept going. Then all of a sudden I thought, oh, there's actually a story here. And so I, I just I just let it all flow out, and then it sort of got to the point where I thought, yeah, okay, I can actually turn this into a book, you know, and 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 put yeah. it out there to the world. And so that's basically how that process unfolded. Beautiful. Let me just say it back to you because I think
1: you you touch on a really important part of this process. So there is the initial moment of kind of discovery uh, of hearing me or somebody else talk about wizard or just that idea that the wizard is an archetype in the world. And that triggers, like you said, the light bulb moment, that kind of illumination of, oh, huh. And then there was a sort of deepening of going into Harry Potter and Gandalf and these wizard archetypes in fiction that were produced from writing other writers that had gone and explored that amazing realm that ideas come out of. But then you paired that with your own exploration, writing poems about wizards, kind of playing with those words and then you sort of hit a rich vein at some point and it started to flow out and created this whole book that you have now contributed to the idea of wizards which is beautifully uh like a a kid's book in a way too it's 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 appropriate for younger people and can now be that source of illumination for somebody else who reads this and goes oh wow wizards yeah that's cool
0: It's cool little flow and effect like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, that's you know what I was hoping to kind of get into today because uh, you know there's there's other wizards that I've encountered after I did my ritual and became one, and then have you know drawn inspiration from. And I think all wizards are unique, but it's kind of exciting to now know that there's other people who are talking about wizardry and figuring out those ideas um, in their own way based on a conversation that I had with a, another podcaster. So. We're starting to uh, round and round, getting deeper and deeper. So why don't you just give a little synopsis of this book for, uh, for people at home? Um, I, I love the way that it's kind
0: of almost this older style of like this poetic ode and rhyming verse. Beautiful. So the book is titled The Wizard and the Bird Song. Um, basically, the story follows there's an old wizard who has become disenchanted and disconnected with his magical ways. Um, He's convinced himself that he goes and sits at the base of this tree because he's deeply contemplating life, when in reality, he's actually become overcome with grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's never been able to process that grief um, into anything and transmute it. So he's sitting at the base of his tree and he encounters a sort of unlikely acquaintance who, in the form of a young girl who's just running errands for her parents and to just skipping along and enjoying being a kid. She uses her, you know, the curiosity of a child to sort of strike up a conversation with this wizard. At first he's quite apprehensive, but then after a little while, he starts to let down his emotional barriers and ends up sharing his story. And so mm-hmm. it ends up weaving into where the source of the grief came from earlier in his life. And basically, once that has happened and he shares his story and he shares a bit of his magical knowledge with the young girl, the two of them experience something that's really beautiful and mystical together and um, it's just a very healing process for the wizard and for the young girl. It's like this opportunity to sit and learn from an elder Mm because one of the main inspirations from the book comes from – Elders, adults, and kids are the the basis of any community. And Mm -hmm. all of our ancestors, no matter where they're from in the world, at some point lived in tribes or communities where there was multi generational living. And the elders were the knowledge holders, they were the wisdom holders. And the kids would just be around that energy all day, every day. And I think a lot of the disconnection from wisdom in the modern society is from a disconnection from our elders, you know, because mm, we get so mm. busy that we don't get time to go and visit grandma and grandpa and just simply sit and listen to their, to their stories. You know, maybe we're too distracted on our phones when we do go and see them anyway and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's all hypothetical, but it's the reality of the society that we live in now. So basically, this Mm -hmm. book is putting it out there to the collective to return to going and sitting with our elders and listening to them share their stories and how healing that can be for the elders and how much of a beautiful opportunity to learn it is for the youth.
1: Yeah. Well, and one of the things uh, that was beautifully put, and I think one of the things that I love about it is normally the wizard is more in that mentor, the wise person. They're the ones that are kind of Uh, sharing the solution, right? A wizard could be a bit of a know-it-all. And in this, the roles are reversed, and it's that young child that is actually helping the wizard work through his problem, see things from a new perspective, and kind of get up and moving again uh, because he's retreated from the world. And I love that inverse of those archetypal roles and how it shows how collaborative that is, that it's them working together in conversation that creates the experience, not the wizard just... Talking down to this young child, but really mm. her childlike innocence and curiosity pulling him out of his, his slump.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I find in that story it's like the wizard is almost representing a, a different side of Elder at first, where perhaps he's become resentful towards life, but he doesn't really understand why. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, as adults we get so caught up in our head. You know, when these we tell ourselves these stories of self-pity. And sometimes it just takes yeah. that that innocence of a child and curiosity of a child to sort of you know seep the water through the cracks and start to break things open. Mm-hmm. and I think um something a listener in one of our uh, like
1: when we were doing virtual hangouts through the patreon, um, someone asked the question about you know oh I'll have these moments where the magic's really flowing and there's synchronicities and everything's so great and then I kind of drop back into you know a little bit of a funk and I kind of lose the magic and I get frustrated and like you know how do I just stay in magic mode all the time and I was like I don't know if you can I think I think that that's where <laughs> we experience that magic is when we get that rush of reconnection when we've been you know in this book sitting under a tree feeling sorry for ourselves for way too long and suddenly we remember oh wait there's lots of awesome stuff you know if we've been isolated for a while and it feels like going out is going to be too much work or expensive or whatever and then someone drags us out and we go oh my god this is so fun i forgot how much i love these friends it was so nice to go to this thing like we get that reconnection with it and i think that is a, a very powerful form of magic and worth worth acknowledging um, oh, i'm curious sure. though with this where did the theme of grief, uh, where did that inspiration to explore that come in for you?
0: That's a good question. I had no plan for this story when I first mm-hmm. put the words to paper that were uh, an old wizard sat at the base of a tree. That was just yeah. that was what it started with. And mm-hmm. everything else just flowed from there. But it came to the point where I was thinking, okay, this, this is actually starting to become a story, not just a simple three verse poem. Yeah. So there needed to be some kind of, I don't know if plot twist is the right word. It's not a plot twist, but it's that point of a story where things start to go south. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it seemed like the most obvious thing for, okay, he's an elder. Why is he becoming depressed and just sitting at a mm-hmm. tree? Okay, he's experienced a loss. It was just, for me, it was something that's simple. It happens to literally everybody in life. It's something that Mm -hmm. kids can understand. It's something that old people can understand. And it's also a subject that's not touched on very regularly. Um, If I can go back in time to when I was talking about that community style living, multi-generational living, Mm -hmm. and death was around you, all the time, no matter what, mm-hmm. whether it was an elder that was passing away, um, you know, medical systems weren't where they are now, so it could be people passing away regularly. Children
1: didn't even survive reliably.
0: Yeah, kids, absolutely. Kids yeah, were, you, you had a bunch and hope that enough of them made it. Absolutely, and animals being hunted and that sort of thing. So, yep. you know, it was it was death. Death was something that was around you, whether you liked it or not, um, but you learn to respect death and death mm-hmm. was talked about. It was done in a ceremonious way. Uh, but today, once again, just like youth have been disconnected from elders, people are disconnected from death. And it's like this taboo subject that mm-hmm. doesn't get touched on quite a lot. And so once again, this book is just bringing that conversation into households, mm-hmm. you know, and, and helping people talk about grief that they've experienced as well with their children. Yeah. And I think that really
1: ties in with at least, you know, how I think about wizardry is I started with that idea of magic as cheat codes and what you were going to find at the the new age shop and, you know, these fantasies from movies Mm -hmm. and things about like, you know, the wizard is tough. They're in control. They have all the power. And now I see it much more as about, oh, you know, I think that's one of the problems of how we approach death is how do we, how do we control it and get rid of it? Like, We want to keep it away as long as possible. That's the only goal. There's no such concept as a good death. And then we're just sad and we have to just get over it as opposed to kind of metabolizing that experience and moving through grief and having that period of kind of laying fallow and, you know, mourning. But then that reconnection and that magic of like, oh, right, but I'm still alive. And there is good things. And that, you know, that growth that comes Mm, out of mm. it. So I think um, the themes were very rich. Um I'm curious, you know, since this has been a little bit recent of an idea for you of the the wizard archetype, how else has the wizard archetype kind of informed um what you're doing as a parent or in
0: your work or just, you know, puttering around the world? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny when you broke down that word wizard in that podcast episode as, you know, wiz, wise, old, one who is, so one who is wise. Mm-hmm. It almost just became something for me to constantly strive towards in every aspect of my being. Mm. So, at the time that I heard that podcast, I was working on a permaculture farm, sort of an hour west from here, sort of in a beautiful rainforest property. And it was a bit of a it's establishing to be a community style setting. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I almost within myself appointed myself the little wizard of of that community and mm-hmm. you know as as soon as I start putting the word wizard out there I wouldn't even label myself as a wizard but you start speaking the word wizard and all of a sudden people identified the guy with the big beard as wizard and people would just start calling me the wizard <laughs> yeah and then other community groups that I'm a part of where there are kids around too they would start calling me a wizard too and so I don't know. I, I use that as a way just to have fun and joke around and play, play with the kids. And I've mm-hmm. become a bit of a storyteller as well. So my partner and I, we love holding cacao circles uh, where yeah. we do meditation and, and sound journeys. But I always involve storytelling in there. So I go through old fairy tales, folk tales, fables and myths, and I tell the story. And then we mm-hmm. sit around and we actually go into the archetypes and symbolism that exists within that story too. When I envision the archetypal wizard, I envision a good storyteller. So it's mm-hmm. somebody that, is, that can take tales and not just blurb it out just for entertainment, but a good storyteller can basically, it's almost like its own ritual. Mm-hmm. A good story with a crowd is a, is a ritual really. It's like this psychic kind of, you know, dance between the storyteller and the receiver of the story.
1: Well, and it's a method for transmitting wisdom because culture has figured out that the structure that we now think of as story is the way to kind of make sure information sticks. If you have really important things that you have to get onto to the young people so they don't... uh fuck everything up and then your tribe goes extinct, <laughs> you've got to you've gotta make sure that they get that information. And if you just had here are the 42 lessons of our tribe, wait, what was number 37? <laughs> like, you're going to forget <laughs> it. Whereas if you have these stories that you know about these heroes and these adventures that like kind of bake all of that in, and I mean, you know, your story being in rhyming verse, that's literally a way to increase fidelity because if you go Oh, right. Yeah. Rhymes with you know cactus. You make sure that you've got each line correctly. You can't change it as much Mm. and go off the rails and lose the heart of the story. So yeah, sitting Mm. sitting around and and sharing a story is I think how we share in this creation of wisdom, uh, co-creating it with the listener who's asking questions or experiencing in their imagination.
0: Correct. Yeah. And another one of the principles that you touched on With Douglas, is that the wizard typically is the person who can see a wider perspective on all subjects. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that has really stuck with me. And whenever I'm confronted with a situation that might be challenging, um, it could just be a human interaction or a disagreement. Mm -hmm. I always think, how can I see the wider perspective on this situation? How would the wizard look at this situation with a wider perspective? And so that in itself has really influenced how I show up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found any good uh, tips or ways to kind of do that?
1: Or is it just the the thought exercise that gets it for you?
0: It's more the thought exercise. Like I couldn't give you any particular situations right now, but it's just funny how you can stumble across a podcast that just has such a profound impact on you and little bits of wisdom like that stick and they just bubble up to the surface when you need them most. Yeah. Almost like a mantra. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea of this whole
1: podcast is thinking about we hear so much about consuming content and stuff, and it's always in this weird, um, just kind of like voracious appetite, never ending, all content's the same. But if you're coming home after a shitty day, picking up one book instead of a different book or listening to one podcast episode instead of a different one can give you that little piece that you go, oh, right. Yeah and then suddenly you you're telling your partner about it the next day and then you're telling friends about it 3 weeks later and now it's something that you think about all the time it's an example that you bring up it's a part of your being and i think that's that magic of of sharing wisdom um as well you know the the elders have the wider perspective because they've just lived longer like <laughs> this is this is your first drought we've had a lot of droughts we know what to do like we've been through this before
0: yeah 100% yeah yeah and i love the way that the um that wizard archetype does transcend through. It's not just European folklore. It's literally an archetype that exists all over the world in different, you know, ecological communities. It shows up in, you know, China and it shows up in mm-hmm. Africa. And, you know, here in Australia, we have our in our tribal society, we have our, our magic men, our, our wise men as well that just have that almost wider understanding of why Certain things happen, and they have that story that explains why people are the way they are. well, you you read
1: my mind. I was just about to ask um, about the work that you do, and if, yeah, if you could share a little bit more about the Aboriginal cultures that um, are in Australia and kind of what their version of that that wizard archetype is.
0: Beautiful. So essentially, what I do is I work for a company and we teach the fundamentals of our Aboriginal culture. Um, we go. We teach in schools, so we're getting kids at a school age, and most of what we're teaching about is connecting kids to the ecological community that they they live in, and that they play their sports in, and mm. that they go swimming in, and so it's giving them a connection to the earth that perhaps wasn't part of their awareness beforehand. Um, connection to country. It isn't a massive topic in people's households Mm. in this day and age, but for a lot of the issues that come in my perspective in this day and age is that people feel disconnected from the place that they live. They feel disconnected from their ancestry. They don't have a sense of belonging. And when you feel connected to the area that you live, if you know a particular creation story about That mountain that you see every day, or if you know a connection story about that particular bird and how it got its colors, you know, back in the creation times, then you feel more connected to that place and you also feel more obligated to care for that place as well. So, if we teach children that everything has a spirit and that that tree has a spirit and there are beings that exist within that patch of bushland that kid is going to be less likely to go and bulldoze it all down for a new housing development, Mm -hmm. you know, so which I think is just bloody magical as well. So yeah, basically we teach the fundamentals of Aboriginal culture and most of it is about connection to country, connection with community as well. And just understanding how the landscape is the way it is now. Yeah. And we teach, smoking ceremonies and we we teach them about you know boomerangs and how to throw a boomerang and and that sort of thing and our own artistic you know with dot painting and symbols and that sort of thing in our country just purely because of the effects of colonization um back in the late 1700s basically there's still to this day there's a lot of separation between aboriginal non-aboriginal and the more that we can start to heal that wound through sharing story or through sharing culture, then the more united Australia will be as a people and hopefully what I see is that, you know, the future generations grow up and it's not this big separation between, you know, black and white, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal and the people that love the earth and then the people that just want to pillage it and rape it. And so that's a big part of why I do what I do. Basically, the way that I see the wizard archetype appearing in Australia is like if you sit with any of our elders, you get this sense of magic that just emanates from them. Um, mm. They have, you know, say like our local language. If I go out into the bush, what I will do is I will call out to the spirits that dwell within that bushland. I'll call out to the old people, past, present and future, and introduce myself and I'll do it in the language that has come from that particular piece of piece of land. Because all over Australia you have they say it's about eight hundred different languages traditionally. Wow. And then within that within that you have dialects which numbers up over sixteen hundred. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> It's very, it's very complex and it's very in depth. But so, learning the language that comes from your particular area is very powerful because, in that situation, say where I go and I call out to the bush and introduce myself and ask for protection, you'll just feel the bush come to life. You'll feel the wind picks up, and you might have a certain bird that appears that you know you're now protected in that environment. Mm. Um, And you can interact with animals in this way. That's like you can call them by their name, not by the name that was given to them by the scientific community back in the Mm eighteen hundreds. It's their name that they gave to the people, and there's a sort of there's a power to that that just can't be touched on any other way. And the wizard archetype within our community, it's there are those people that are considered like medicine men. Or medicine women, and they're almost like the shaman of the community, mm-hmm. and so they have certain powers and knowledge that most people don't have. But then, even just other elders within the community, you know, because I think people are disconnected from those magical spiritual ways of being. Those elders have that aura of of the wizened one, yeah. because as you said, they they've lived through all of these different challenges and they can help you to navigate these things. But they also might have a story that just really sets off a light bulb for you or they might have that particular piece of language that does something really magical. You know, For example, further down the coast, there was stories of um, men that could do this ritual where they're calling out to the whales and they would have sort of a particular... Almost dance that they would do where they pretend to be an injured man and it would be calling this whale in, and the whale would feel sorry for this man and it would beach itself. And then the tribe can eat whale for months and months and months on end. Wow, that's so that's like, amazing! You can't tell me that's not magic. <laughs> That's magic. I also feel bad for the whale because it's like, oh,
1: let me help you. And then this guy's like, ha, 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 I wasn't limping. Get him, boys. Um, No, that's beautiful. And I have have a lot of um, questions about what you just said because I think coming back to that idea of the wider perspective, it doesn't necessarily mean that the wider perspective is totally, you know, you're in one circle and there's another circle that wraps around you. They can be overlapping circles sometimes and somebody has a whole other world and you just have this one little overlap and as more and more everybody grows up in this same kind of container of capitalism and Western thought and values, I think cultures that are coming from a different perspective have a tremendous value and I think the one note of caution I always want to sound is to not just translate what they're saying into what we want to hear and create kind of our Mm. own version of that and actually respect that, you know, um, other cultures have different belief systems that aren't always about healing, or you know, the, the kind of Western New Age perspective that we put on it. So there's something that I'm I'm vaguely remembering this. I might be getting it incorrect. So forgive me if I am. But I remember reading once about how stories and songs were also important for Aboriginal culture, just as a way of navigating. Like we were talking about that transmission of wisdom if you know that that mountain has this whole story, you recognize that mountain. And when you're going across uh, the bush and there's a whole lot of space and a whole lot of probably similar things, it really helps to not just think, wait, is that the dune? But to know that you have a relationship with that dune and that mountain and that tree and it's all personified, which makes it easier to like know where you're going. And I've heard, again, I'm. I'm not remembering my sources, but that it was like a reciprocal relationship that the humans thought it was very important that they were the holders of these songs and stories, and like kept those alive for uh, the the forces that were out there.
0: Yeah. So you nailed that that particular concept is called a song line, or some people uh returning mm-hmm. to. Song spiral as well, because when you think of a line, a line has a beginning and it has an end. Mm -hmm. But a song spiral, on the other hand, the spiral just continues cycling. Yeah. And so basically, how that works is yeah, so you would sort of come to a certain age where uh, perhaps you're getting ready to go out on your own journey and leave the community so that you can go out and learn from other tribes that exist around. And um, yeah, you might be given the responsibility of a song line or a song spiral. And so that has story attached to it. And it's basically like feeding energy back into the land. And then the the land gives you energy back as well. But it's also like a roadmap as well, but it's communicated through song. Mm. Um, A lot of people that are into Steiner education know that People remember things best through song if there's a rhythm and a flow to it. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're walking from, you know, what is modern day Sydney all the way up to modern day Queensland, that's a bloody big walk. And if you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you know where the fruit trees are, if you know where the waterholes are, or where other tribes live, so you can go and hang out with them, and you're remembering this because you've been taught this song then it makes that journey a little bit easier to navigate. You're not just walking into the, the wild, completely unknowing. You've got this story that's already mapped out the journey for you. That's beautiful. I think it would also like kind of break up the walk a little bit where you're like, ah, okay,
1: yeah, we're in the breakdown. It's going to just be kind of chill and then we're going to get up towards the melody again. Okay, there we go. Yeah, this is a good part. I like this yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got, you got to get over that drop, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, now my other question is what is a smoking ceremony?
0: So a smoking ceremony is, it's our, it's our version of interacting with smoke in a sacred way. And so smoke is used, you know, universally for its, um, you know, spiritual purposes. So you have, I think it's, Perhaps the Greek Orthodox or the Greek Catholic Church, they they have their smoke that they swing as they go in down the, the aisle. Incense sensor, yeah, yeah. That thing is just piping. correct, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. The um the it's used in you know India and Tibet, burning incense in the Middle East, mm-hmm. in the Native Americans, they use sage and that sort of thing. A smoking ceremony is traditionally used for a few different purposes. So when a baby was born. It would be put through the smoke for a couple of purposes. It's one of those holistic things where you can't just knuckle it down to one purpose. It's like on a physical level, that smoke is really good for the baby because it clears out their airways Mm. and helps the baby to take its first breaths. But also, the other significance of that is because that smoke travels all throughout the bush and throughout the trees, and it can, you know, sort of create a portal in a way, and it's introducing. That baby to the land and to the spirits that dwell within that land as well. It was also used when people would come together to do ceremony because, you know, when they're coming from different areas, it's like once again, when they would come to your particular tribal area, then, you know, you would put them through that smoking ceremony to introduce them to the land that they're currently on and to the spirits that dwell within that place. And then it was also used at the end of life as well. When a person would pass away, it would help to send their spirit back on the journey up to what we call the Sky Camp. And so the Sky Camp is like our version of heaven or Valhalla and that sort of thing. So it creates this portal that almost like a river where they can swim back up to that Sky Camp and sit with the other ancestors to look over us and take care of us in this lifetime.
1: That's so cool. So with with smoke I guess there's kind of different forms. There's, you know, like burning sage where it's about the ambiance and, you know, around you versus things where you are like inhaling the smoke like you're smoking a pipe and it's like going hmm. straight into your lungs. So is this more that ambient smoke where you're kind of bathed in it and surrounded or is it a I am breathing this in through something that I've, you know, rolled up or a pipe to inhale it like the way that people smoke tobacco?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. So how it takes form is you'd light a small fire, almost like a little campfire. And then you have certain leaves that are really special. And you'd basically cut them off the tree and then you put the leaves onto the fire. And it takes, you know, when you light um, sticks and leaves and it's like that Mm -hmm. gray smoke and it's really rough and no one wants to get it in their face around the campfire. (laughs) Yep, It's, It's different to that. So when you put the leaves on, it sort of transforms into this beautiful silky white thick smoke Mm. and so what you would do to interact with that smoke is you go in and you crouch over it and you wash it on your arms and you wash it on your face and you wash it on your legs and so it's cleansing your body you know on a physical cellular level but it's also Mm. cleansing your spirit on that more metaphysical level
1: so you're not handing kids a pack of Marlboro Reds and and (laughs) having them smoke that way
0: that's a good way to get smacked over the
1: head yeah yeah well when I mean, you're like, yeah I work with kids I teach them a smoking ceremony I was like this is interesting where's this going um, now I think this is this is a very big topic so I'm not sure how much we'll be able to get into but you know one of the concepts I've always been fascinated by and would love to learn more about is dream time which I think has kind of entered into you know Western new age culture in a way. But I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that and you know what, what that really means to um, the Aboriginal people who lived in it.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So the Dreamtime concept is a Western term that's trying to encompass a concept that's existed within our culture for a long, long time. And we, in our area in particular, are trying to move away from using, say, Dreamtime stories as a way of labeling a specific Mm. type of story, Uh, we're moving towards more creation stories because the term dream time insinuates something in the past or even just that word dream. A lot of people comprehend dream Mm. as something that's been made up or imagined, whereas for Mm, us, these stories, yeah, exactly, these stories are actually explaining why that mountain is shaped the way that it's shaped and why that bird has the colors that it has or why... It has a particular song. Mm -hmm. And so, but that concept, the dreaming, the dream time, once again, it's, it's insinuating towards something that's happened in the past when really it's just comprehending a time of creation. So, you know, you could argue that right now you and I are in our dreaming because we're creating something together. You know, this is our dream time. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and now when this call is finished, I'll go away and I'll continue my dreaming because I'll continue creating my story. Even if it's just going mm. to work and interacting with people, that's still creating. It's creating space. It's creating conversation. It's creating memories. And so that's my understanding of the dream time. And I might only have you know, a child's perspective of, of the dreaming compared to what the elders have because they have that wider perspective, right? But that's my yeah. understanding of dreaming and the dream time. Is that it's a state of creation. It's a state of connection with your ancestors as well. And it's it's very potent. Yeah.
1: No, I f- thank you so much for clarifying that because I think that is again one of these things that an idea, a term, will get created from a Western context. And then in the 70s, somebody uses that and they're like, oh, like this spiritual practice, but like the Australian version. And they just kind of (laughs) take some of the aesthetic, but they put it onto something that isn't accurate. And I think now um, we're thankfully getting more in touch with both you know, more rigorous academic stuff that's kind of breaking it down and both of those being more connected with the actual lived experience of the people who are like, no, I, I can clarify what that means for you. This is my culture and I can speak to that rather than letting uh, somebody mm. else misinterpret it for everybody.
0: Absolutely. And you, you find that all around the world um, with different tribal societies, like you have men out in the desert here in Australia that have a name for every single star in the night sky that have this like incredible astrological knowledge wow but and i feel like western astrology is only just catching up to that sort of thing you know
1: yeah that's amazing yeah i think um what you said too about the co-dreaming that we're doing when we create anything is is a fascinating idea because whether it's a conversation or a book or a podcast There is the thing itself, and then there's what we take away from it. Like, we'll leave this conversation with our own fuzzy memory of it, and it's recorded, so we could come back and kind of go, oh, okay, wait, I I thought he'd said this, but maybe I got that somewhere else. Or, oh, I forgot he mentioned this. And like, you know, so we kind of take away our Xerox with us, but then other listeners are also coming back. And so this recording, this conversation has its own life as it moves through different people's experience and 10 people could listen to it and they could take away 10 totally different things. They could have very different impressions and that creates an expansion. So it's not just the recorded conversation, but all of those other interpretations, experiences and changes wrapped around it. So um, thank you for co-dreaming this with me.
0: My pleasure. And I feel like when you do hypnotherapy, for example you know you're taking mm-hmm. people into their dreaming their state of creation as well absolutely and mm. a lot of it is is learning to work
1: with what's already there you know most of what i do is coach people away from trying to find the right answer or feeling like what's correct and it's these moments where people are like i don't know why i'm having this come up but i'm at my grandma's house and i'm like yep go with that go with that like If you don't know why it's coming up, that means it's the right thing. Let's go with it. Don't try and dismiss something and get like what you think is the cool or interesting answer. Like just go with that natural process. Mm. I'd love to wrap our conversation today um, as we always do with a spell. What would you offer to any listeners who want to take maybe some of your unique wizardry or some of the, you know, aboriginal practices that you've worked with? What's a little thing that the listeners can take with them out of this dreaming uh, and into their own waking world.
0: My best recommendation for bringing more magic into your life: I have two things I would encourage anybody to delve back into their ancestral roots and find where your old people, your ancestors, came from, and find out what stories they told as well. You know what are the things that their elders shared around around the campfire at night. Mm. And then I would also recommend that you have a think about who the elders are in your life. Um, It doesn't even have to be family. You can just be a community elder and go and sit with that elder and just listen to their story because there's such a hunger for wisdom and knowledge. And you can buy a million and one books about wisdom this day and age to try and get some kind of understanding of who you are and where you stand in this world and in this society. And that can become very overwhelming in the age of technology. So if you can go and sit with an elder, someone that just keeps it real and will just tell you how it is through their own lived experience of this life, I think there's few things that are as magical as that. Wonderful.
1: Beautifully said. And I think you're so right where we often get this kind of advice or this kind of itch and then we go find an online course that's about ancestral lineages or mythologies and, you know, those can be fine. Those can be valuable. But we're overlooking the power of just talking to a neighbor or just that person that is in the community or even, it doesn't even have to be so much older. Just even, you know, people that are 10 years older than me, I often find they have a different perspective. They grew up before technology had taken over in the ways that it has and so... I think that's wonderful. Well, thank Mm. you for your time and your magic, Aaron. I hope the uh, wizardry continues to pour forth from your pen and uh, illuminate everyone around you. It's just the beginning. For more of Aaron's magic, you can pick up his book, The Wizard and the Bird Song uh, at a variety of online retailers. But I would suggest uh, getting it on Etsy where uh, the money goes directly to Aaron rather than, uh, you know, some giant megacorp that's uh, slowly killing us all. Because again, if we're thinking about small choices that we can make, you know, buying a book from a more local or ethical bookseller is one of those things that creates a slightly better reality. And if you're just looking to use your money to create slightly better realities, you can always visit patreon.com slash this podcasts a ritual where you can give an actual real life wizard who is me $4 and 20 cents each month and help support the ongoing magic that we're creating here. Um, it means a lot. I'm always putting out more bonus content and uh, just look forward to conversing with you there in the comments. So visit patreon.com slash ritual where you can make my reality <laughs> slightly better. Because <laughs> that's what $4 does. It's like a cup of coffee. It's like, you know, hey, there you go. So thank you for that. I believe in you. Your magic is real. Whether or not you give me $4.20, your magic is real either way, but it's maybe slightly more real if you do <laughs>